or three in your Bibles. We'll read verses one through six, and then uh, we'll pray and, and have a seat. The Bible says in Esther chapter three, verse one: After these things, did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did give him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him uh, this morning to bless the preaching. And then we'll have a seat. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the privilege to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for filling this place up. Uh, Thank you that people made the choice to come here. And I realize it is their choice. They could have gone anywhere they wanted. And they came here this morning. God, I pray that it would not be wasted time, that, Lord, I would be found faithful uh, with your message to give to the people that came something from God. God, I don't want to ever get in the way of the message. And, I, and Lord, if I do, if I'm the reason that somebody rejects it, I pray it's not my fault but theirs. I pray, God, you'd control me. I pray you'd fill me. I pray you'd guide me and direct me that I'd have wisdom and skill above my abilities that comes from you to be able to deliver the message here in this text to these people this morning. Help my mind to be sharp, and I pray you'd bless these next few minutes, God, and give us hearts to receive what it is you have to say. And again, God, I ask you please to control me. I I want to be in your control. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated this morning. I want to say this before I get into the message, uh, what we have for you from this text this morning. I want to say that... as time has gone on, I feel like I'm changing. And what I mean by that is not that my doctrine is changing or that my stands are changing whatsoever. But I feel like I'm changing. I feel like God is changing my mindset. I'm going to preach a message to you in a minute that I think 15 years ago I probably would have preached a little bit differently in my heart as I was preaching it. Does that make sense? And I'm not probably not going to preach too much different in the style when you're looking at me or listening to me. The way I may come across to you, you may notice no difference at all. But I want you to understand from my heart, there's a difference. For sure, there's even a difference from 10 years ago. I was thinking about it this morning, even five years ago. What I'm trying to say is this. This is a pretty straight message, I hope. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a message where I'm going to try to stir you up and put a little pressure on you, maybe even motivation a little bit, to get you to do what you and I ought to be doing in the day and age that we live in. That being said, I want you to understand that I get it when I look at you and understand that not everybody's supposed to be a pastor. Does that make sense? Not everybody's supposed to be the preacher. In other words, 
some of you have a hard time sometimes doing what you know you need to be doing. You have a hard time saying there's a standard here in the preaching, there's a standard here in the Bible, and I'm like way here, right? Well, first of all, you're not alone because the same thing is true of me, even though you may have a different perception. (laughs) But that being said, we're not going to lower the standard to try to make people feel comfortable. At the same time, you have to understand in your own heart that, listen, the preaching here is straight, the preaching here is hard. That's not going to change by the grace of God. I want to be a straight, hard preacher, a Bible preacher to the day I die. I just don't want to be a hard-hearted preacher. I don't want you to go, man, that's a hard message, and I really kind of get some stuff when I go there, but I can't keep up with that level. I'm just going to go somewhere else. You heard something that I was not saying. You heard something the Holy Spirit of God was not saying. If you are trying at all, you know and realize you're not there yet. But listen, I'm not going to quit and give up because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to keep coming and keep trying, taking my little baby steps the right direction. Do you understand where I'm coming from this morning? I'm going to preach to you on it's time to stand. All of a sudden it's like, oh. It's time to stand. You live in a day and age where it is necessary, it is paramount, it is very important that you and I get in our guts, that we get down deep in our heart, that buried deep in our soul, we realize we stand for something if you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand for something if you believe the Bible. If you're a born-again Christian, blood bought by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, then your life is no longer your own, and it is time for you to stand for something and be be willing to take whatever comes with that stand. That's something we all need. I'm going to preach to you on it. But at the same time, I want you to know that I realize we're all a work in progress. I would rather you, I'm going to say this again, because I mentioned in the announcement, we've never seen the announcements, we've never seen this much of a percentage of our church come back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. It's pretty amazing. Gracie and I were talking about it just a couple weeks ago. It wasn't that long ago that our Sunday morning service on a good Sunday morning would look like our Wednesday nights or Sunday nights are looking now. It's encouraging, man. Now, I'm saying that to say this. I encourage you to try to come back if you can. But I'm not in your face about it. And nobody else is, and I won't let anybody else. And you're not a second-class Christian because you only come Sunday morning. I'd rather you come here Sunday morning than go up the road Sunday morning. You know 99% of the Christians on this planet wouldn't come sit here on Sunday morning? You are a rare breed if you come faithfully here and listen to this kind of preaching once a week. I'm not going to beat you up for that. I'm not going to pressure you for that. So don't feel like I'm pressuring you if I preach on it a little bit. Making sense? All right, I know it kind of sounds contradictory, but it's really not in my head. We need to stand. We got an example here in our text that we've been reading this morning of Mordecai, and he actually takes a stand in this passage that is the kind of stand you and I need to take in the day and age that we live in. Evil has come in like a flood. God's people are in captivity to a wicked Gentile king and a wicked Gentile nation, right? And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God said in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 59, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Now, ain't that interesting? 
Because the enemy comes in like a flood, that's a plural sense. But God's saying, listen, when I see this widespread movement of evil, when I see a widespread movement of the enemy, when I see a lot going on that is anti-me and my people, anti-my man, anti-my work, anti-my word, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up a standard against him. There's a motivating movement, there's a motivating persona, there's a motivating individual behind the movement of wickedness against the people of God. And God says when he sends all of his legions in, I'll raise up a standard by my spirit against the work that he's doing through them. Now don't we live in a day and age when the enemy's coming in like a flood? Isn't that exactly where we're at right now if we look at the world around us and what's going on? You've never seen a flood like you're seeing it now, man. I mean, it is unbelievable. These kids and the positions that they're in in the schools, you don't even, listen, it doesn't mean every teacher is a mess, okay? Doesn't mean every teacher has a wicked agenda. I'm not anti-teachers and I'm not putting us, you know, it's us against the public school system and all that stuff. But you do know for a fact there's a spirit moving in this world and the pressure is on all of them more and more, even in conservative schools, even in the military, everywhere you go now, the pressure's building up. The enemy's coming in like a flood with all this foolishness going on in this world and the pronoun games and all the rest of the garbage they're planning in your children's heads. It is absolutely uns stoppable from our perspective is coming in like a flood. So you know what the Spirit of God does in a day like that? What Isaiah 59 tell you? He raises a standard against him. You know the root word for the word standard? It's a stand. Didn't he tell you in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the armor of God and once you put on all the armor of God having done all to do what? Stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Having on, and he gives you the whole list of what we're supposed to be doing. We're standing against something. You know it is time for you and I to take a stand. Mordecai does it. But, but here's the interesting thing. Here's the beauty of your Bible. This thing is wild. Go back to verse number one. It says, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman. And then he tells you who this guy is. Haman is the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. You say, what's that got to do with anything? You remember who Agag was? You remember what God told Saul he was to do with Agag? God told Saul he was to wipe out Agag, the king of the Amalekites, right? You know why? Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh. God told Saul, who was a man that did not take the stand God told him to take, when it came right down to it, every time that big, towering mountain of a man was spiritually a coward, even though he killed his thousands, he actually was head and shoulders above all the people. He was a specimen of manhood. He was the star of the wrestling team. He was all that. I mean, he was it. But there was a problem with that man. Because down deep in his soul, he didn't have the guts to stand. When God first came along and called him and he gets anointed, what's he do? He runs and hides himself among the stuff. He got picked because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the first king of Israel. He was all that in a bag of chips. But the problem was he in the flesh looked great. In the flesh he had it all together. In the flesh he was the guy. And he even was a great warrior because he did kill his thousands. But the issue? 
was in here. Somebody, older guy, 71-year-old doctor actually this week, kind of got into a little bit of a back and forth with me. And he had started asking me, you know, noticed my ears and started asking me questions about, and the thing just kind of went from one to the next. And so he said, you know, asked how long I trained. He said, well, are you a black belt? I said, no, I'm not a black belt. I said, not in my, not in my art. I said, some American schools, yes, technically could be by now, but not in the school I went to. And he's like, look, it took me X amount of years to become a doctor. What's the difference between a guy that's been trained in five years and eight years? And so he mentioned, you know, a tough guy, like with the, the tough guys. And, 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 and he was, when he referenced it, he said, so what's a tough guy? I said, it's not necessarily the guy that wins or loses. He looked at me. I said, a tough guy has nothing to do with whether he's the biggest or strongest or whether he wins the fight. I said, a tough guy's in his mind. He wanted to start going to science and all kinds. It was a very interesting conversation. He got a little flustered, I think. But anyways, I said, it's his mind. I said, I might be able to break your arm, but you might be tougher than me. You understand what I'm getting at? Listen, your spiritual strength has nothing to do with how holy roller you look on the outside or whether or not you stand head and shoulders above everybody else. Your spiritual strength has to do with your mind. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with your dedication to God, your willingness to stand and take a stand and keep taking a stand. It doesn't necessarily have to do with whether you're in the pulpit, at the piano, singing, this, that, what your position is in the church. Your spiritual strength has to do with whether or not you're willing to take a stand. Amen. One of the toughest guys I've ever seen in my life. I think the toughest guy in the gym, not, not jujitsu, in the workout gym. Toughest guy in the gym. He walks like this. And he's over there, and I'm watching that guy, man. I'm trying not to cry. Because he, he's got to hurt everywhere. I mean, I'm watching his body move. I'm watching him try to adjust pins. I'm watching him pull on that thing. And, just, and he's sweating and he's working. I don't know what his case is. He's all crippled up. But I more than once, people, you know, cauliflower ear. That's the toughest guy in this gym right there. Don't, stinky, don't, don't talk to me. Go talk to him. You want to know about tough, go talk to that guy. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, you and I don't evaluate it like God evaluates it. We need some people that are actually strong, that can take a stand. That's a tough guy for Jesus Christ. I don't care how tough you are in this world or any of the rest of that foolishness. I didn't even mean to get into all that, that foolishness. I mean, what's going on in your heart? We need people like this that will take a stand. Now, here's where that stand comes in. God said, Saul, wipe out the Amalekites, right? You know what he didn't do? He didn't wipe out the... He, he, got, he got caught up in what was best for him. Taking gifts, getting rich, accommodating himself, the life of ease. He, was, he must have been an American, you know what I mean? He has to have American mentality. God said, wipe him out. He started making excuses for his flesh. Amalek's a type of the flesh, right? Haman's a descendant 
of somebody God told Saul to wipe out a long time ago, and since Saul years ago did not do something very simple, very clear, that God said to do, now many centuries later, Israel's dealing with, in a bad repercussions, his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, his nation is dealing with his refusal to stand up when God told him to stand up and do something very simple God said to do, but to him it didn't make sense in the moment. He didn't want to go there. He was a coward that didn't take the stand he was supposed to take. And as a result, now Israel's in a mess. Can I tell you something about you? When God tells you to crucify your flesh with the affections and the lusts, you know what you better do? You better crucify them. You live in a generation where the preachers don't have the character to get up and tell you the truth about holy living and about Christian living and about Christian conduct and about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And Well, don't be meddling in our personal lives. You're a coward. That's the problem. You don't want to face what God said. And as a result, hey, listen, as a result, when God's looking to raise up a standard, you're not going to be there. Instead, you're going to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ for why you were a coward. I told you I was going to preach, right? Okay, I don't want to answer for that, man. I'm sorry. My life is all about one thing, and I've had to make those decisions more than once throughout the process. Even recently, I've had to make the decision. My life is all about trying to do what God wants me to do, and that's what I'm doing right now at this very moment. I don't like it. My flesh, don't, I don't like being in front of people at all. The one thing that scared me more than anything on the planet was when I had to do that public speaking class in college. 17 or 18 years old I was when, when I went there and had to get up and do this public speech. I, I hate it. don't like being in front of people. But I don't have a choice. I have to crucify my flesh to obey him because if I don't, he'll use somebody else. I don't want him to use somebody else. I want him to use me. I'm selfish. He had to stand up against the flesh. And since Saul didn't, it was Mordecai's turn to make the same decision. And guess what Mordecai does? He makes the right decision. But I want you to notice some things in the text. If you decide that you're going to take a stand, if you say, yes, preacher, I'm in, I'm going to take that stand, then here is going to, this passage is going to show you what is going to happen. And I will guarantee you it's going to happen in your generation. I hope you young people are listening because it will happen to you at school. And it's not just for the young. It'll happen to you any age you are now at any point. Do you know what's funny to me? The most resistance that I get as a preacher, the most resistance I get is from people 60 and over. I'm talking to the world, lost people. I mean, they'll like me. Hey, man, how's it going? All, they're all friendly. Like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. You're a what? I'm a pastor. I mean, I, I don't do that. I want to. That's what's happening inside, right? <laughs> Boom! <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, we don't, don't know his name. Get that little, like, hey, come on, man, really? You ought to be at a different place in life. I ought to look like a kid to you. Oh, that's good, young man. What, what would be wrong with that? Anyways, you never grow out of what's going to happen here. But especially you kids, I want it in your head. I want you to understand you're going to get some resistance. Notice what happens. First of all, when Haman takes his stand, there's an exaggeration of the enemy. Look at verse number two. All the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, right? For the king had so commanded concerning him. 
So the king had set out a decree, and he had said, What you do for Haman, this man that I desire to honor, is the commandment is this. When you see him, bow and give him reverence, right? But Mordecai did what? He bowed not, nor did give him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for he had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Now, now this is bad. Because he took a stand for what was right, you know what they did? They began to exaggerate against him the severity of what it was he was doing. Did you hear what I said? When you take a stand for what is right, the first thing, the first sign that you're doing the right thing and that God's on it is that the wicked people will automatically, immediately begin to exaggerate what you're actually doing. Well, I don't know why you think you're better than us, holy roller, looking down your nose at me. They'll immediately start taking what you're doing and exaggerating it. Now, here's the thing. What's the importance of him bowing? Think about that for a minute, right? Everybody in the cotton-picking kingdom is bowing to you. What is the big deal if one guy doesn't? Well, nowadays, everybody believes that homosexuals ought to be able to get married. Amen. It's going to be my assistant pastor right there, the assistant preacher, you know. That's the the cheerleading crew. (laughs) Well said, sir. Okay, I don't. You hate monger. You just exaggerated what I said. You see how it works? It is designed by the devil to increase the pressure on you to cause you to immediately begin self-doubting when you're taking the exact stand God told you to take. You get called into the principal's office, you know, and you're all of a sudden feeling like you're in trouble. Come on. I can be like, hey, Jesse, you know, everything's great, right? Between me and Jesse, no problems at all. Hey, Jesse, I need to talk to you. And between here and there, the comments on yourself, like, oh, I'm in trouble getting called in the office. And everybody's like, we have to joke it off so everybody knows. It's like, there's like something about getting called into the office. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your conscience could be squeaky clean. But when you get called into the office, all of a sudden, I mean, didn't God say if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things because sometimes your hearts can condemn you when you're not even guilty? It's a trick of the devil called false conviction. That's what he did to Job. Job's sitting there scraping those boils, right? Boils like leprosy. Boils in the Old Testament was a sign and a type of sin, the judgment of God on sin. When the devil hit him, the devil put boils on him, and he's thinking he's guilty when he's not guilty. Exaggerating what you're doing. Why do you care if I still believe that it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve? Why do you care if I still believe that girls are girls and boys are boys? Right. 
I think it's soundly scientific. This is what me and the doctor, you know, kind of like some of our conversation went to some very scientific things. I took the side of science. Real science. Against the doctor. And before long, he was like, <laughs> I'm sitting there giggling like I'm dumber than a brick, you know. I mean, I'd prefer to be fighting somebody right now. I was talking to a doctor, and here I am talking to a 70-something-year-old doctor with truth. And you watch truth not be intimidated by error because error can't stand up against truth. I said, stand up. We ought to be willing to stand for truth. Watch this. Now watch how this works. Why are you violating the king's commandment? Don't you know what the law says about the king? Don't you know what Romans says about being in subjection to them that are in authority over you? There you go. Now you're going to use the Bible on me. All of a sudden now, all of a sudden now you know some Bible, huh? Amazing how biblical you become all of a sudden. Doesn't it look wrong? You know what the problem is? Look at the verse. It says to bow and give him what? You know, the problem wasn't a simple bow. A lot of people ask the question, like, is it wrong to bow into class? And not at all. Well, what's wrong with it? It's a show of respect in some cultures. Is it wrong for me to shake your hand? No. What that technically means is that's a, that's a, a friend to a friend saying, hey, listen, there's no weapons. It's my sword hand. It's my gun hand. That's you're saying, hey, there's peace between us. There's no weapons. It's a cultural thing. There's a meaning behind it. Is it wrong to bow into a martial arts class or whatever? Like, no, there's nothing wrong with taking a bow like that. You remember the story. Here's a Bible for you so you know what I'm talking about. You remember when Naaman the leper got healed? You know what he wanted? He said, ask Elisha, tell Elisha, listen, when I go into the house of my kings, the house of his God, and I bow... I'm kind of in a position where I'm forced to do a bow. And he just said, go in peace. He didn't say it's not wrong. No, it's fine. Go ahead and bow. He didn't say, hey, you're wicked if you bow. He said, go in peace. God knows your heart. You understand that? He wasn't bowing in reverence to that God. He was bowing in a bad position and God just said, I'm past the salt. Watch this. I'm going to show you something. Rahab the harlot. Do you know what she did to protect the spies? She lied. Now, wait a minute, because here's what happens. See, this is, a, this is a two-edged sword. People will go to the Bible and use the Bible to defend their sin all the time. Rahab the harlot lied. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. the leper bowed. Uh-uh. Mordecai, I didn't. You see, the motive behind the bow, what's in your heart at the bow, Everybody's bowing in reverence as he's though he's a god. And Mordecai said, that book says I'm not to bow. I ain't bowing. And if I bow, it looks like a bad testimony. Guess what? He takes a stand because in the last chapter, did he not tell Esther to hide her people? Guess what he does in this chapter? We just read it. I think it's somewhere around verse 4 or so. He had told them he's a Jew. You know what he realized? He realized, man, it is time for me to take a stand. No longer time to keep hiding that I'm a Jew. No longer time to keep running from this thing. I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. I stand for the truths of the Word of God. I'm on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for me to stand. That's what I am. 
change of heart since chapter 2. Because he's recognizing the timing in the thing. And he's saying, God said not to bow, I'm not bowing. Yeah, but Naaman the leper did. I know God said not to lie. Yeah, but Rahab the harlot did. Stop for a second. If a guy I'm sitting on my front porch, right? And I'm relaxing, I got a key to my house in, the pocket, in my pocket, and my doors are all locked. My wife and kids are in there. A couple thugs walk up on my front porch, pull a gun out, put it in my face, say, you got a key on you? Guess what I'm going to say? Nope. But that's a lie. Okay, you leave me to God then. If you no longer can sit under my ministry because Pastor Reagan said he would lie, then, you know, you're looking for something to get stupid about, so just do what you're going to do, right? Not being mean, I'm just saying. If they stick a gun in my face and say, you got a key? Nope. You got a wife and four girls in the house? Nope. You know why? Because I don't want my family to die. You know what I think God's going to say at the judgment? When the devil says, he lied, God's going to say, pass the salt. Do you understand my point? That's what he did. With, nowhere did he say, good job lying, Rahab. She was about to die. They were hiding. She's concealing God's people. She's like, <gasps> I haven't seen him. But where do you find God saying, oh, good for her, she lied? God said, pass the salt. Same thing with naming the leper. You get that? See how people use the Bible to justify themselves? You've been in that situation, have you? That's why you're lying? That's the situation you were in? That's why you just lied, right? How about lying to get out of trouble? You see the motive behind the lie? That's a, My dad said if the cops pull you over and say you steal the car and you stole the car, you look them right in the eyes and say, yes, sir, I stole the car. You say, what a weird illustration. I know, it's like my dad was making a bigger deal out of lying to the cops than out of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> really? I mean, really, my dad made it a bigger deal out of lying than he did out of Grand Theft Auto in my mind. Now, you think about that for a minute. Ain't that crazy? You understand the motive behind the thing? Mordecai is not saying, I defy the authorities because I'm an American and I ain't wearing no mask. Christians going into Kroger refusing to wear a mask because I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Just kind of funny was country was founded on biblical principles. Like, yeah, you're a great testimony. Mr. Kroger asked you to wear a mask. It's his property. The government's making him do it. Yeah, but we're Americans. I know. What, I thought about this. Think about this. The difference between Christian soldiers and real soldiers. Excuse me for that. We ought to be real soldiers, but Christian soldiers and real soldiers? Do you know real soldiers go bleed and die for their country when they don't even agree with the politics of why they're there? Do you ever think about that? How many of those guys go over there and give their lives for their country, God and country, because the boss said go, and they don't even believe in the cause they're over there for, and the politicians are backstabbing them, and the people back home are backstabbing them, and all the mess those guys, but they're soldiers. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Christians nowadays, if they're going to ask me to wear a mask, I can't fight. No, no, fighting the government for those kind of reasons ain't right. But when the government comes and says, you have to say it's okay for homosexuals to get married, and you have to marry them if they come to your church. You know what I say? Time to take a stand. Why won't you bow? Why are you exaggerating the big deal of whether or not I bow? There's a hundred other churches they can go to. Pastors are queer with them. They can go anywhere they want. Why is it? It ain't that big of a deal. 
You're not that much of a nuisance. You're not the problem. Ahab said Elijah was the problem, but Elijah was not the problem. Ahab exaggerated what Elijah was. Ahab was the problem. Elijah took a stand, and God did a great work because a man took a stand at the risk of his own life, just like Mordecai. They will always exaggerate what you're doing. You people are the problem with the culture. Like this guy out here in the parking lot the other day. Christians, it's Jesus wants you to help the poor. Yeah, but he never said we're to fund meth addictions. Help the poor way more than that joker ever has a second in his life. You know, the same guy walks up to me at the gas station about three weeks later. I stop at a gas station I normally don't stop at on the way home. Same guy walks up to my car. I watched him. I, he, I said, there's that guy. I was at church. He goes over to that pump. He goes over to the people at the front door. He comes over to my car. He looks. He sees my suit. He sees my Bible on the dashboard. He's like, hey, man, get a couple bucks to help a veteran out. I went. And he start, started walking up to my wife's door. And I went like that, waved him around to mine. And he comes up to my door. Hey, man, you got a couple bucks to help a veteran out? I said, didn't say a word. He didn't remember me. I, I'm almost positive he didn't. I, he looks at the Bible and he goes, in Jesus' name? I said, oh, Jesus, hold me back, you know? Not a striker preacher, I know. That's why I grapple. <laughs> Man. Well, what kind of Christian? You're exaggerating what I'm doing. Those people always want the money. You're exaggerating what I'm doing. That's the devil's way of pressuring you to not take the stand you're supposed to be taking. Don't buy into it. Keep standing. They made accusation against the impropriety of his actions. And what's funny is, here's their exaggeration then against him. Watch. Haman saw Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then was Haman full of wrath. Really? Listen, this ain't the message this morning, but can I mention something to you, please? Now, I'm going to say this compassionately because I've had this problem. When you come to church and there's well over 100 people here this morning, and you have, let's say, 100 people that like you, but you got one person that doesn't, and you go home obsessing about that one person, you are fixing to get yourself in a mess. Don't live your life like that. I can't imagine the agony of living my life obsessed with that one guy that doesn't like me, that one guy that doesn't respect me, that one guy that won't bow to me, that one guy that criticizes me. Hey, man, it's a free country. You can like me or not like me, whatever you want. It does not change the fact that I'm born again on my way to heaven. I got a God in heaven that loves me, taking care of me. I got a wife that's stuck with me for 20 years. I got four daughters that have been real good to me so far. I got a great church. You don't have to like me. I don't have to care or be mean to you because you don't. You ain't got that much power. This nut was so obsessed with himself that one guy wouldn't bow. And so here's his reaction to the fact that the one guy wouldn't bow. I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill his mama. I'm going to kill his grandma. I'm going to kill his babies. I'm going to rip his pregnant wife apart and kill the baby. In her. I'm going to slaughter his whole family. That's what he said, right? Yeah. 
thought it, you say, that's crazy, man. Why do you talk like that? That's what it said. Folks, that's what he was going to do. I'm not trying to be crude and dramatic. I'm telling you, that's what he was going to do. That is how it works. When people reject truth, they'll exaggerate what you're doing, turn you into the enemy, and then they will exaggerate the reaction to what you've done so much that someday in our lifetime, we could go to prison for preaching the way I preach. It would not shock me. I was talking to another preacher about that this week. Would not shock me at all. You're at a point now where the conservatives are labeling things hate speech. That my grandpa, as a Democrat, when he was my age, would have never dreamed of calling hate speech or thinking should be legal or accepted in our culture. And we're going downhill at a very fast rate. So you know what it's time to do? It's time to stand. You can cut and run if you want to, but God helping me, I don't want to go nowhere. Because God's looking for a standard. He's looking for a Mordecai. He's looking for somebody that'll step up. And God will raise up that standard. If God raises you up, God will keep you up. He's going to slaughter everybody. What a response, man. Isn't it wild to me? They're always talking about love, 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 love. And they say, what do you do for a living? And you say, I'm a pastor. Oh, what church do you pastor? The Bible Believers Church. Oh. Well, what do you believe? The Bible. <laughs> well, you know there's some stuff in the Bible. Yeah? It sure is like a Savior that died on a cross to take away your sins. Well, they call homosexuality a sin in the Bible. You got a problem, man. You just ignored what I just said because you're obsessed with one thing. What are you, a queer? They're always going to exaggerate the response. They talk about how you're supposed to be loving, but they'll want to burn your Bible, burn your house down, burn your church down, and obliterate you from the planet because of what you stand for. That's in the text. That's what Mordecai is going to do. He thinks it's scorn to lay hands on Mordecai in verse 6 because he had showed him his people. So he said, all right, I'll wipe them all out. You know, the devil brings the pressure by your family. You know that, don't you? Notice the examination of a fool. Look at verse 8. This is what's going to happen when you take a stand. Haman the king said to Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. He didn't say the law of God. He said their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. That's not true. That goes back to the previous point, the exaggeration. We do keep, there ain't no better law-abiding citizen than a Bible-believing Christian that lives by the book. Put a mask on. Yes, sir. Take the mask off. Yes, sir. Get out of the car. Yes, sir. Can I see your license? Yes, sir. I'm talking about a Bible-believing Christian. What right do you have to pull me over? You ain't living like that book wants you to live. You were speeding, stupid. They don't even pull you over until you're 10 over or more. So we all do nine over. <laughs> so what happens? Haman, the king says to Hasarius, there's a certain people scattered abroad. They're not keeping the king's laws. Neither is it for the king's prophet to suffer them. 
Hmm, what a manipulator. In other words, he's saying they're costing you money, king. Now watch. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. The king took his ring from his hand. Oh, man, it's not for my profit. Okay, they're not abiding by my rules. Flaw. Go get him. What an idiot. You know, he didn't stop to think. Who are these people? Before he stamps it. You know what he just did? He signed the death of the queen. His favorite. You know what the problem with a lot of Christians is? You don't look into things enough. How's your marriage doing? How are your kids doing? How's your thought life? How's your prayer time? How's your Bible reading? A fool just rushes through life, takes the surface of what they think they're hearing. That sounds good. Makes a big decision that has an impact throughout the entire kingdom, not stopping to consider the impact of his actions, the impact of his movements, and all that kind of thing. Not saying, let's sit back and pray about that. Let's get more. Can I get some more information on that? That sounds like a great idea. I appreciate what you're saying, but let me get some more information and I'll get back with you. No, fools rush in where wise men fear to tread. My dad always said, look before you leap, boy. And I never did. And God kept me alive until I got old enough to go, man, that old man was onto something. He actually was, might have been a little smarter than I thought he was. This man's rushing into the thing and hurrying up and making a decision based on manipulation of his pride, based on the money that is offered him. Kings should not be taking gifts. I learned that as a kid. I'll never forget, man, a deacon always, hey, we'd like to bring the preacher up here, and here's a gun, and here's a this, and here's always giving gifts and presents all the time. Like, you know what they found out? They found out that deacon, what they could find was $100,000 in total, and there's a bunch they couldn't find because they don't know how much cash he was dipping into. $100,000 over like a 10-year period, just slowly but surely embezzling from the church and handing out gifts to the preacher. Hey, <laughs> look. You hand me a check for 20 grand, praise Jesus, I'll cash it. Don't you think for two seconds that the next day that means there's any difference in my life. Here, God wants me to give this to you. Oh, tell God I said thanks. <laughs> now listen, I, you know, when people are sweet, when they give, that's a blessing, right? But you do understand the stand behind what I'm saying, right? Well, listen, preacher, you know, I... I think that we need a new swing set, but I don't like it out there. I'll pay for it, but it needs to go back there. We'll be happy to have you pay for it, but you don't have the authority to say where it goes because now you just overstepped your bounds. If God wants you to give, then you follow God. But God never instructed me to be bought. I am bought with a price, but I can't be bought with money. You know what I figured out? God taught me this lesson a thousand different ways. You don't have time for it this morning because I want to get you out of here. We got lunch downstairs. You hungry? Yes, sir. I'm starving. Listen, I found out that if one person takes off, the money guy, I even learned this as a kid by observation and then throughout my ministry. God will step somebody else in there if God wants that church funded. 
Kings ought not be being bought with gifts. He allowed the money to get in the way. And listen, aren't you all supposed to be kings and priests with Christ? Then money ought to never buy you, persuade you, pull you away from what God has for you. He got manipulated by the love of money. And then look at verses 10 through 12. By the men around him, the king took his ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said to Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also. Do with them as seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month. Interesting, number of rebellion. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of the king Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. You know what I see there? There's, there's, there's men all over that kingdom just domino effect, just making decisions and following the leadership without anybody looking into what it was finding out the details of it, the king never asked who these people are. And now they're getting caught up in the movement of everybody else because everybody's doing it. It must be right. right. Now you watch it, mom and dad. I'm telling you, watch it. You better be actively training your children at home because they're caught up in the movement. And I don't care if they're Bible-believing kids and if you're Bible-believing parents, you believe the King James and you sit under hard preaching and most people can't take this guy. I don't, I don't care about any of that. They go there all week long to school and they're caught up in the movement. You kids hearing me? You're caught up in the movement of what's going on around you and everybody's doing it and you become so accustomed to these little 8, 9, 10, 12, 15-year-olds saying, I'm a this and I'm a that and I'm, I'm actually a boy, I'm actually a girl, like totally unscientific. Nothing about it is true educated. It's all simply nothing more than faith. It's nothing more than, than philosophy. It's nothing more than opinion. It's nothing more than emotion. There's no reality to it. And it's so constantly pushed in your face that before long you start looking at it like it's not that big of a deal. You hear me, mom and dad? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. You better be that standard in your home because if you're not standing in your home, your kids are going to go with the flood. And I'll, I'll, God help me, I'll preach all the way to my grave against it, but that ain't going to stop it if you don't. You better be tuned in. You better know what's going on. There better be examination. And the examination of a fool is just to assume, I brought them to church this morning. They're downstairs in Sunday school. They're in the nursery. Everything's fine. You cannot preach, out-preach parenting at home. You understand that. Listen, youth conference this weekend will not undo the damage you do week to week by not taking a simple stand God tells you to take. It requires you. I'm trying to help you this morning. Listen, I said at my beginning, I tried to set this up right. I told you I was going to preach, right? I'm trying to motivate you to take that stand you're supposed to be taking in your home. Some of you men, man, I should say this. Some of the men nowadays, not you guys. Some of the men nowadays make me sick. I mean, make me absolutely sick. Complete cowards. You, you, you bluff somebody else, man. You can't bluff me. You're a coward. You send your wife to church. You send your kids to church. You ought to get in church. Amen. 
I know some, you're supposed to submit to me. Using the Bible, see? Exaggerating. Exaggerating the offense of the wife. You're supposed to be submitting to me. Well, be something she can submit to, genius. Instead of you're supposed to submit to me. You're a fool. You need to look into it. You need to examine what's going on. You need to get close enough to God to say, listen. God, what's the problem? Don't disregard the details. Did you hear me? That starts with, God, where am I at? Am I taking the stand I'm supposed to take? Am I setting the example I'm supposed to set? Am I the man I should be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Because don't ever forget this. When it comes to people that follow you, more is caught than taught. Does that make sense? You just be what you're supposed to be. They pick up on more naturally than what you ever say. Don't do as I do, son. Do as I say. You're a fool. That's the examination of a fool. I always tried to tell him, yeah, but you didn't live it. You're a fool. My last point this morning. Pretty harsh, huh? The extermination of the people is the goal of the enemy. The letters were sent in verse 13 by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both old and young, little children and women. I said it earlier, remember? And graphically describing what he wanted to do. In one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil for a prey, of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for the commandment to be given to every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. What happens is the ultimate goal of the enemy is to exterminate the people. That's what he did, right? And this commandment goes out, and everybody's like, what in the world? They're perplexed. They're like completely confused, like, what is going on? What's happened? Isn't the whole nation perplexed right now? I mean, like, even the people that are just sort of like normal humans trying to live their American lives, and everybody has an opinion about this and that, and everybody's a liberal or a conservative or this or that, and everybody's like, what's going on? Uh, let me explain it to you. The enemies come in like a flood. And it's not the individuals you see in front of you. It's the motivation behind what's going on. It's the angry leader that's saying, I'm not getting the reverence that I want because I will be like the Most High. And they're not bowing. And so what the goal is, is to completely exterminate the people of God. Do you remember Daniel? He took a stand, right? Yes. You know what happened? The wise men were going to get wiped out. and He went to God and said, hey God, would you help me? He had already taken a stand at the risk of his own life and saying, I'm not going to eat the king's meat or defile myself with the king's wine. That was meat not allowed in the old, under the Old Testament law and fermented wine. It was the king's wine. It was alcoholic. Not the wine of a freshly pressed grape with no alcohol in it. He denied the wine and the meat, unclean meat. He took a stand. And what happened is he's about to get wiped out and God needed a man to take a stand. And he did. Uh, 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 um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know what they did? They took a stand. 
and the king says, you're going to bow. They said, we're not going to bow to that gold. Everybody's bowing. You're going to bow. We're not going to bow to that gold. Why won't you bow to the gold? Because we're supposed to bow to God. Here I stand. Throw them in the furnace. I want it seven times hotter, and I want them bound. Why would you even have to bind them? He took his mightiest men. That's what the text says. And heats this furnace seven times hotter than normal and then binds them, throws them in the furnace. You know what they said? If we die, we die, but our God can deliver us out of the furnace. So, but if he doesn't, they were accepting their faith. But if he doesn't, we're willing to die for it. They took a stand. You know what Mordecai does? He takes a stand. As a result of his stand, they start exaggerating against him. They start with this, this foolish examination that's not even digging into the details. And then they decide they're not just going to exterminate him. They're going to wipe out his people. Now watch. We're done. Watch. Look what you did, Mordecai. You got everybody in trouble because of your stinking preaching. But is the story over? From chapter number 3, it looks like Mordecai got everybody in a mess. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't bow. If I'm standing for what's right, then no matter how bad it looks, I don't have to bow. Why? Because I'm standing for what's right. You kids need to listen to me. You need to stand for what's right in school. And part of the way you do that is just walk away. Don't be involved. Don't look at what they want you to look at. Don't laugh at the jokes. Just don't be... They'll come out. You don't have to start preaching at everybody. I'm not trying to turn everybody into the preacher. Didn't I say that at the beginning? You don't have to be preaching at everybody. At least what you have to do is you've got to take a stand and not get drug into it. Mordecai takes a stand. And as a result, looks like his people are going to get exterminated. But guess what? It's not how it turns out. They put the pressure on him, they put the pressure on him, they put the pressure on him, they put the pressure on him. And he said, here I stand. And then God uses him to set this whole thing up to where all these enemies, we'll see it later in the book, wind up getting wiped out, and God's people wind up taking the spoils. In the end, because of his stand, God brings a great victory to Israel and a great victory to Mordecai. Mordecai was willing to die for what he was standing for. And God was looking for a man to take that stand. He took that stand, and since God was looking for a man to take that stand, God works out all the circumstances and all the details behind the scenes and winds up taking his enemy that wanted him dead and all his people dead, killing his enemy and killing all the people that tried to kill his people. You follow all that? Now, here's my conclusion. There is no way Mordecai could have ever figured any of that out, set any of that up, planned for or expected any of it. No way. He wasn't responsible to do all that. He was only responsible to stand and then watch God do what God does. There's your message. Just do what you're supposed to do. I'll tell you this and we'll be done this morning. I was thinking about this. It came back to my mind this year. It's just clear as a bell, and I just haven't thought about this in forever. But 15 years ago, almost 15 years ago, I was, well, no, 15 years ago, I was struggling with whether or not I was going to come up here and start a church. I mean, bad. 
I wound up making the decision to come, and the Lord's done some great things for us. I'm really, really grateful and excited about what God has done and where we're at now and what we hope God's going to do. And It's pretty exciting times, man. You know what I remembered this week? I remembered within the first five years of starting this church, two different guys. One, a King James Bible-believing, independent, fundamental, rightly dividing, I mean, all the way down the line, just like me, that came to this area looking to start a church and found out I was here. There was another guy who was a King James Bible believer, not exactly the same as us on every level, but at least an avid, door-knocking, soul-winning kind of guy that believes the King James Bible, who had told me, called me, and said, hey, I heard what you're doing over there. I'm happy about it. We're praying for you. Just so you know, I've been praying for a few years about South Lion and been talking with some other people, and we were kind of getting the gears rolling to come out there and start a church. He's local. Detroit area. I was planning on coming to this town and start a church. Two different guys. You know what makes me shudder to think? What if I hadn't come? This church wouldn't be here. God would have been desperate for a man that didn't stand in the gap. No, stupid. I'm talking to myself, not you. No, stupid. If I hadn't come, God would have sent somebody else. Because I'm not as important as I think I am. But he's really important. And I'm really thankful he gave me the grace to take the stand he had called me to take. Because I'm really glad I'm here. And not somebody else. So take your stand. Because only you suffer when you don't. God doesn't suffer. He'll raise up a standard. He'll just pick somebody else. Let's stand to our feet this morning.